This episode of Turning Final is dedicated to Herbert Keller, founder of Southwest Airlines. Welcome back to Turning Final. This week, we're going to talk about an e-cigarette that caused a fire on an American Airlines flight, as well as a stunning increase in airline crashes and deaths in 2018. And finally, we're going to remember the life of Herbert Keller, the founder of Southwest Airlines, and the legacy he's left on the aviation industry. All right, so this first story comes to us from FlightGlobal.com, where the U.S. government shutdown is casting a doubt on Delta's A220 launch plan. So if you all remember, um, Delta just recently acquired about 75 um, A220s, and they're trying to launch them uh, this January from, uh, I think it's Newark LaGuardia Airport, and they plan to do service to Boston and Dallas-Fort Worth. But unfortunately, now that the government shutdown is in its third week, um, the FAA is not able to um, add the A220 onto Delta's operating certificate, so um, it's been pushing back the scheduled release or the scheduled debut of the A220 for um, the U.S. airline. And given all this, um, Delta's put out a statement saying that they don't believe this will affect their schedules, and they say that Delta continues to monitor the situation and will work with the FAA to ensure that the A220 is fully certified when it enters our fleet, and no customer disruption or impact to schedules are expected. So this isn't the first time that Delta's had problems with the A220. If, you, if you'll recall, um, they were recently in a trade dispute with Boeing, or I guess Bombardier was, in where um, Boeing was claiming that Bombardier was receiving um, unfair uh, government subsidies in order to um, sell the planes. And um, yeah, basically they were selling them to Delta and Boeing was claiming that they were hurting the sales of um, the 737 NG and Max family uh, aircraft. And Bombardier actually ended up winning this trade dispute. And so um, after that, Airbus acquired them uh, or acquired the C Series unit, called it the A220. And Delta's um, the first expected operator of the A220 now. So with this new operation of the A220, I, what do you foresee the the outlook to be in regards to like equipment used by these these airlines now? Because now this A220 is probably going to take the place of some aircraft, uh, just because it's newer and it's probably more fuel efficient and whatnot. So, uh, what do you foresee happening to the equipment used uh, by these different airlines now that this is going to be entering uh, the industry? Um, basically, what I predict is going to happen is um, the A220 is largely going to replace um, airplanes like the E-145 and maybe some of the older um, 175s, the, um, the older generation. Um, it's really not necessarily in a market to compete the, with the 737, in my opinion, even though it does have uh, comparable range. Um, the 737 just holds um, a considerable amount, uh, more amount of people. Um, I believe that it's going to enter um, the lower capacity market um, right alongside like the the new um, Embraer 175 E2 and um, yeah like I said start to replace some of those older E145s 135s and some of the older 175s and 195s I mean do you think it also could maybe replace like some MD80s you know in Delta's fleet because you know they operate a boatload of those so um, you know this could potentially replace some of those i think as well yeah delta is still one of the biggest um operators of the md88 and md90 so um it hasn't been necessarily announced as to when delta is going to uh, get rid of these planes but i think the acquisition of these um a220s and um the delivery dates as they're scheduled along for the years uh we'll we'll start to see some of those um older fleets like the the mad dogs the md90s the md88s get replaced by these new um a220s yeah, I think it's just kind of foreshadowing, too. I mean, they ordered a lot of these, I mean, relative. Uh, so, I mean, they've got to have some sort of plan, and they might not have announced it yet. But the MD-80 series and, you know, MD-90s are are relatively old now uh, compared to these newer aircraft that are coming out. So it, it's kind of only really natural that their, their time is up. 
Uh, so I, I think I foresee, I predict now with no other information just than what I've seen in the industry. Uh, so I'm not basing this on any studies or uh, information that's been released by anyone, just my own personal belief uh, that you know the MD-80s will probably be replaced by things like the, the A220. Um, because I know personally when I go on uh, airplanes now and when I fly Delta, they are they are outdated when you get on the aircraft. I mean, obviously the, the seats and whatnot are well kept. The cabin's clean, um, but just the systems are outdated. Like you know, even so little minute things such as the overhead panel, you know, when you're sitting there in the seat, the, the attendant call button and whatnot, you can tell they're kind of ancient, if you will, compared to these uh, newer aircraft that are out, especially like the new 737 Maxes and all that. It's It kind of puts the MD-80s to shame. And some of those older aircraft that are kind of used in a regional uh, facet. So I think this A220 is probably going to start replacing, you know, the E145s, 170s, uh, MD80s, 90s, and whatnot. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think I largely agree with you. Um, uh, these We're going to start, I, th I think um, it's safe to say that we're going to start to see some of these A220s. And if some another and if another airline buys them too, I think it's largely going to replace, like maybe American might consider getting a lot of these since they also have a lot of um, aging MD-80s, 88s, and 90s. Um, so I think it's largely safe to say that the A220s, uh, you're going to start to see it replace some of these older uh, Mad Dog fleets. Yeah, and so, I mean... Even with American, they haven't phased out their MD-80s quite yet. I don't even, I'm not quite sure if they've even publicly said when they're going to be gone by, but I mean, I know recently they've said that they're going to be phasing them out, but it seems like they kind of just have kept them around for some reason. Um, I don't know why, but I think these newer aircraft are, are going to be beneficial regardless because passengers will feel like they're flying a fancier aircraft even though it's maybe smaller than some other aircraft, it's going to have the newer interior, newer systems. It's going to be a little smoother uh, and whatnot. So I think it may actually be beneficial to the airline in terms of profits because people, when they go on the websites and they see the aircraft, they might start avoiding the MD-80s and those smaller aircraft when they see the equipment and start booking only the flights that have the aircraft they like. Uh, so, you know, I think maybe the sooner they start implementing these, this new aircraft, uh, it might actually help them in terms of profits. Yeah, I largely agree too. I mean, um, yeah, some of these these older um, MD eighties, eighty eights, and nineties are starting to become an eyesore, and I mean they are workhorses for the airlines. They do carry a considerable amount of passengers. They're not the most fuel efficient planes in the world, um, but uh, they're largely reliable. I mean, they are. That's probably why they're at, um, still in service today. Um, so. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think um, passengers are largely starting to get tired of the the um, the Mad Dogs, and um, you know they see they hear about these new aircraft, and they're saying to themselves like, "I want to fly in the new aircraft." So I think it's largely a smart um, decision for airlines to start replacing some of these older uh, MD eighties and nineties um, with the new A two twenty. Yeah, and a great example of passengers wanting to fly on the new aircraft and whatnot is, like, these new first flights of these aircraft. There's, like, this huge buzz and, like, uh, excitement around it. So, like, if you go, you know, they have these historic flights when, like, Delta had, like, their new Airbuses come out. Um, uh, people, like, are lining up at the door, you know, per se, to get on this flight just because it's historic. It's the first ever flight uh, in that aircraft for this airline. So, people, it's just proven that people kind of are fanatic if you will over things like that are brand new and coming to the aviation industry because there are a lot of people who just like airplanes and aviation and so they get really hyped about this kind of stuff so if these airlines i think can capitalize on this excitement about new aircraft it may actually boost uh sales for them yeah i largely agree and especially with the um the route market that um, delta plans to implement these on um laguardia new york that's um that's an area where a lot of people with um, expendable income would probably be willing to fly on these new inaugural flights on these new aircraft, especially to places like Boston. It's not very far away or even Dallas, Fort Worth, because those are two American hubs. So that's probably a really common route for them. And that's probably going to be a profitable route for them to implement this aircraft on. Yeah. And I mean, another since I'm I'm Kansas City based as of right now. And so right now between LaGuardia and Kansas City, they're operating like CRJ 700s and 900s. And I know for a fact that everybody would rather be on this new A220 
or even anything else. They'd even take an MD-80, but like find a CRJ from Kansas City to LaGuardia, New York, like two, two and a half hours a flight all the way over there. And, you know, it they need bigger equipment than that. And, you know, maybe not as big as a 737, but, you know, the 220 is a step in the right direction, in my opinion. And I think it'll actually, you know, boost sales for some of these uh, regional routes. Yeah, I think you actually bring up a really good point there with the CRJ. Um, I think we're starting to see a shift in the market to where um, passengers are starting to prefer the uh, slightly larger, the more comfortable regional jets. Because um, just maybe about 10 years ago, you know, um, we're barely starting to see like the the 170s, the 185s, the 190s. And these were still considered regional jets, but they were considered like the, the luxury, the premium regional jets. You're mostly seeing um, Embraer E120s, E135s, 140s, or I'm sorry, 145s, and um, the, the older CRJs. Uh, these were the ones that, you know, are the most uh, synonymous with regional jets you know they're the small ones the ones where you don't quite fit in the seat right the windows are really low so your head's just against the wall and the windows at your shoulder so i think we're starting to see a shift in the markets where people are starting to prefer these larger regional jets just because of passenger comfort oh definitely and i probably can guarantee you that when people because i know i do it when i go online to book a flight i like it used to be that i didn't really care what equipment i was on i just was looking at the times now I'm looking at the time of arrival and departure and in addition to the equipment used. And if the equipment used is like a 145 or something I really don't want to be on, even if the time's great, I'm not going to be on that flight. I'll take a little bit uh, later departure or arrival just to be on an aircraft I like. So I kind of think that reflects the mindset of most travelers these days. Yeah, exactly. And I have that same issue where um, I'm always looking at the equipment that's going to be used because I'm a bigger guy. I'm six foot four. So it's really hard for me to um, fit comfortably in these planes. So if I'm looking at a flight and I see two uh, comparable flights, one operated with a 145 and one operated with maybe a new A220 or a new 175 or 195, I'm taking the A220 or the 175 or 195. I do not want to be on that regional jet because I've been on the new... Um, or I guess the bigger Embraers um, compared to the CRJs and the smaller Embraers. And the bigger ones are just so much more comfortable, even for these shorter, like, one-hour flights. They're just so much more comfortable for your body, and they don't put you in that really awkward position and, you know, just make your body really sore and hurting after your flight. Oh, oh yeah, totally. It's I know I think I discussed this last time. Uh, I, I can't stand the 145s and 135s. They need to be replaced, in my opinion, with the 170s at least that size. So... Yeah, no, I'm, if I see a 145, like, the only way I'll ever fly one of those, again, if, if I have to go somewhere and that's the only thing available, then I'll fly it. But if that's if there's other alternatives, I'd rather get in, like, at 2 a.m. and take another, another aircraft because it's, it's exactly. worth it that much to me. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, we're not alone in that decision. I think a lot of passengers would rather take the more comfortable flight, even if it's at um, an unusual time, rather than... Um, the flight where the aircraft is smaller and it's going to be really uncomfortable especially if it's for over an hour and a prolonged period of time oh definitely and we love to hear what you guys think about this you know do you guys like the smaller regional jets or do you like this kind of trend towards uh the the larger regional jets and let us know uh on instagram and twitter our our handles uh final underscore turning uh so yeah we'd love to hear from you guys okay our next article comes from inc.com and it's basically explaining how in 2018 there's been an uptick in deaths and crashes in the airline industry. Uh, so basically in 2017, only 13 people died in commercial airline incidents and uh, 534 died in 2018. That's over 500 more people have died in airline incidents in 2018 alone com compared to just last year. That's like insane to me. Uh, so... There was 48 accidents in 17, uh, but this past year, in 2018, it was, was a total of 160. Uh, and just an important note here is uh, this is only uh, examining accidents related to passenger aircraft commonly used, not military flights, training flights, private flights, or cargo operations, or helicopters. So basically, your commercial jets, for the most part, This uh, these uh, stats relate to. And just a few of these uh, accidents that contributed to these, uh, these numbers were uh, back on February 11th. Uh, 71 people died when a Saratov Airlines flight crashed in Russia. 
And then this past April 16th, a woman died uh, when you know the Southwest Airlines flight from New York to Dallas uh, when the fuselage was damaged and the woman was partially pulled out of the window. And uh, that was a big one. Uh, I'm sure everyone has heard of. Uh, so that was a uh, another fatality. Uh, on May 18th, 112 people boarding a 737 died when the Global Air Cubana aircraft crashed shortly after takeoff from Havana, Cuba. Uh, on August 4th, 20 people died when a uh, uh, 1939 Junkers aircraft flown by Swiss Jewair crashed uh, into the side of a mountain. And then uh, famously referenced last week uh, by Matt, uh, the Lion Air Boeing 737 MAX that crashed shortly after takeoff. Uh, so that was another one that contributed to it. So, of the 160 commercial airline accidents recorded in 2018, uh, no one died in 147 of them. So, there was, even though there was only a few accidents, it, it killed quite a few, but, you know, it's not that likely to happen, is what they're trying to say here. Uh, so, basically, you're more likely to die in a road traffic accident than you are in a commercial airline accident still, even with these uptick in numbers, uh, because about 1.25 million people die every year in road traffic deaths. And, you know, even though that's a thing, my take on this is that, you know, going from 13 people dying in 2017 to 534 in a year is kind of astronomical, in my opinion. Um, maybe if it went from like 13 to like 30, 40, 50, even to 100, but 534, that's just kind of outrageous to me, and it it's, it's showing something's wrong in the aviation industry. Um I don't know what it could be, but something something's totally wrong. And as we discussed last week, it could be you know upper level management, maintenance, pilots, and it's like across the board though because this isn't just one airline. Uh, this is everybody. Um, so that's kind of really just kind of mind boggling, um, you know. And but it also just seems like it, it's it's probably maintenance in my opinion. I don't know. Uh, because it seems like things that are going wrong or like are malfunctioning attitude indicators or your engine cowlings going, it doesn't seem like most of them are pilot error, you know, where they just decided to do something that they shouldn't. Yes, a few of them are, um, but it seems like the majority to me are ones that could probably be fixed by maintenance if they had done preventative maintenance. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of my take on that, uh, Matt. Yeah, basically, I, I have to largely agree. And, you know, just looking at these statistics, um, you know, there, there's uh, the flight from Russia, um, the 737 that killed 71 people. And then the next biggest one is the Southwest one in America. Then the next one is the 112 people in uh, Cuba that died on the 737. And then most recently, the, um, the 737 MAX that uh, crashed in Indonesia, you know, and like, these are airlines that are all over the world. So it's, you'd ha kind of have to make a generalization as to if there's only one thing causing this, or if it's just happens to be a coincidence with a bunch of different things that went wrong at, during the same relative time period. But there is one thing that all of these have in common and that it's, they're relatively small or low cost carriers like these are not big national airlines like the cuba airlines like it may be a national airline but it's definitely smaller than most of um the other national airlines in in the world so i think that that, that might have something to do with it in the fact that they're all really uh, small uh either small or low cost carriers and I think what we've often seen is that sometimes these low-cost carriers or these smaller airlines have to cut some corners somewhere to in order to um, keep up with uh, revenue in competing with um, the larger airlines. So that might have to speak to something that some of these lower-cost carriers or smaller airlines are doing in cutting corners to where it's causing some of these uh, other accidents. Yeah, that's a very good point that you just brought up, actually, because... You know, I'm, as I'm going through it, I'm realizing, yeah, you're right. Uh, most of these are low-cost carriers. You know, probably one of the bigger names that most of you would be familiar with is Southwest. Um, they're still a low-cost carrier, and, you know, they've had quite a few issues. We discussed it last week and but this week. But I think the with low-cost carriers overall that you kind of brought up, Matt, is that, you know, to be low-cost, they have to cut corners somewhere, whether that be the turn time when they get in they got to basically just rush really fast to get that plane out because they you know they need to try to get in as many flights as possible to make up the lost revenue compared to a uh you know larger airlines just delta united american or whatnot so you know if it's whether it's turn time or it could be the maintenance you know um 
that could be a huge thing. And I, you'd hate to say that it's these guys doing the maintenance department that are to blame. But, you know, when things are like your your instruments aren't reading right, I mean, that could be done by preventative maintenance where your engine cowling blows. I mean, and it's happened a few times with the low-cost carriers. You know, recently Frontier happened again. The engine cowling kind of blew. And they're also a low-cost carrier. Uh, so I think it might be saying something that these kind of incidents aren't happening as much to the larger airlines when they are happening to these uh, low-cost carriers. Yeah, and, you know, as I said, like, uh, I there's no way I can necessarily prove this. This is just go- basing, like, this is just based off of what I'm seeing it with all of these accidents. And that, um, I, th- I, I, think, I think it's safe to say, though, that there's something that these low-cost carriers and small airlines are doing where it's creating a little bit more of a risk than flying on a large national airline like United, Delta, American, or some of the other ones like uh, Emirates or British Airways. Like these smaller ones, uh, like you said, they have to cut corners somewhere. And so, you know, whether it's um, with the maintenance department, with um, Lion Air, where they still sent the flight out, even though it was um, it had a bad uh, angle of attack sensor, or maybe it was... Um, just some, something to do with uh, upper management where um, they still sent these pilots out even though they might not be uh, familiar with the type of terrain they're flying in or the type of weather. Whatever the case may be, um, these low-cost carriers are doing something to where they're putting, um, they're, they're creating more of a risk for these uh, airplanes to crash. And as of right now, I can't speak to as what that is, but um, I think it's definitely out there. We just need to figure out what it is. Yeah, so to me, it boils down to two things, and it could be either one or a combination or just both. It could either be one, it's it's a problem with their management style, you know, uh, their, their policies in the training department, which comes from upper-level management, uh, you know, hiring the wrong people uh, who aren't as experienced or not training them properly. Or two, it's they need to overhaul their maintenance department because there's issues in them all. Uh, they're not putting, they're not hiring the right people, or their people in the maintenance department aren't trained well enough, or the people in the maintenance department just are, don't have enough time. So to me, it's either a management thing or a maintenance thing that's going on here, and I don't know really know which one it would be. Um, if I had to take a guess, I'd probably say it's a mixture of both, but you know that's just my opinion on it. All right, so our next segment is going to be the screw-up of the week. And this week's screw-up of the week is uh, from Business Insider, where an e-cigarette on board an American Airlines flight that just landed in Chicago had caught fire. Now, before I get into this, um, I just want to say, like, e-cigarettes, they're a great alternative to regular cigarettes. You know, they still got the nicotine with that. But that's not the point of this. The point is people just need to be smarter about their electronic devices on planes especially when we have all of these warnings by the FAA and every single time you get on a plane especially after the Samsung um, I think it was the the Note 7 with the exploding battery the, they really drill this into you that you're supposed to be careful and make sure that you know if possible just don't bring them on the plane but if you're gonna make sure that you're just not using them in a weird way or that if they do explode or catch fire or anything, you got to let them know or at least let the flight attendants know. And luckily in this situation with this American Airlines flight that was landing in Chicago last Friday, um, the flight attendants were able to quickly extinguish the blaze and um, the airline, or I'm sorry, the aircraft taxied to the gate, no injuries or um, damage was reported. Maybe... um, you know that maybe the person lost the e-cigarette which honestly i don't care about but um no like i said no injuries no um no fatalities or anything like that are reported no damage to the aircraft yeah I, I find this interesting because you literally see it plastered everywhere you know no smoking no this no bringing this and it's kind of amazing that people still do it it's like i wh- why i mean don't you know that that can you know, you've heard all the you know air crash investigations where there's a fire in the cargo hold and it literally brings the entire plane down. So, like a small little fire, even in the lavatory, because of your cigarette, can the the entire plane can crash and you won't just kill yourself. You're going to kill the entire crew and every single passenger on board, most likely. You know, so you know the yeah. the survival rate of airline crashes uh, isn't very high. 
Yeah, and that's what I don't get is like there's already the FAA or I guess TSA already does not allow you to bring these devices um in your checked luggage. So like they're not gonna let it onto the plane if you have it in your checked luggage and it's going under the plane. They'll take it out and they'll they'll make sure that it doesn't get on the plane that way. But the reason why I don't get why they still let people carry it on the plane is that, you know, these incidents, these instances do happen. And this isn't even the first time with an American Airlines flight last year that it happened. Um, another another instance happened, I think um, it was, uh, let's see, it was back in, um, you know, b- back in a recent, like a recent couple months ago when American Airlines flight was um, going from Los Angeles to New York and had to land in Phoenix after another one of these um, e-cigarettes ex- exploded, basically, and a sudden burst of smoke went up in the um, the cockpit. And then this even happens overseas, too, like in Europe, where smoking is incredibly popular. So I imagine that they would also have a lot of issues with e-cigarettes and people just bringing cigarettes on the plane in general. But um, a Pegasus Airlines flight that was en route to Paris was forced to land um, in Croatia following another e-cigarette fire that uh, happened while the plane was in midair. So I just what I don't get is I don't get like I what I do get, I'm sorry, is that you know, they're not allowed on the underside of the plane. But given that logic, because they don't allow it because it might start a fire, why why allow it on board, the per- like, with the person on the plane if it's the same likelihood to start a fire? Like, yeah, they can they can put it out, but just I don't understand why they decide to take that risk. I just, it, it beats me. No, it's kind of stupid in my opinion, and I think that policy needs to be changed, uh, especially, yeah, it did, like you said, it doesn't make sense. Okay. A, and actually, in my opinion, a fire in the cabins worse than the cargo hold because at least if it's in the cargo hold, it's not going to directly affect the people right away. At least you have a little bit of time to kind of land and make the emergency descent and whatnot. But if there's a fire in the cabin, you're 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 dealing with the smoke like directly, immediately, as well as the fire. Uh, it, it's it's kind of dumb. Um, but like also like as you mentioned that you know TSA will take it out of your bag if you decide to check it So they have the technology to detect that stuff in your bag So why can't they just say it's not allowed and if we find it in your bag as a carry-on Sorry, you were gonna throw it away or you're gonna have to mail it back home or You're gonna have to give it to somebody to take back home because you're not bringing it, or just go buy a new one at your destination But you're not taking it on this plane because your your one you know your one agenda is not worth risking the lives of 170 plus people on this plane yeah, exactly. And, you know, with the whole, um, uh, the, the whole Samsung, the, I think it was the notes, the galaxy seven, I might have to be corrected, but, um, with the whole exploding battery issue, they made sure like they barred those phones from entering planes. Like you could not take one of those phones on a plane and have the plane take off. Cause otherwise, you know, it was just the, um, the FAA realized it's too big of a risk because there, you should not be taking any steps into, um, like allowing something like this to happen so i just i don't understand why they don't apply that same logic to e-cigarettes if they're also um susceptible to exploding uh while the flight is in midair because that's incredibly dangerous especially since the cabin is pressurized so it's it's got it's got air in there so it, it could easily spread and that's probably like one of the worst things that could happen to a plane mid-flight is an is a mid-flight fire. oh yeah as i mentioned earlier like it's it's even worse to happen in the cabin, especially with the pressur- pressurization, uh, because yeah, it can literally be a little spark, and the the next thing you know, the entire cabin's up in flames. So, like, you don't even have time to make an emergency descent, as I said earlier. It's like, no, you got to get that extinguished now, or risk the entire thing going up. And you know, as you said, like, I don't even know why it's even an option to people to bring it on. Like, those phones is like, if you had one, I'm sorry, you're SOL at this point. You're gonna have to. You know, just go without your phone if you really want to fly. I mean, because you know, you could, your phone's worth max a thousand dollars or so. Um, but it's it's you know how much an aircraft and plus a hundred and seventy plus people's lives are worth way much more than that. And so it's like it's not worth you know one person having the gratification of bringing their Samsung on the plane or their e-cigarette. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's kind of comical and it's just not cool. Yeah, and also I I really don't understand like how you could make an argument um, in, in like for bringing these e-cigarettes on because like someone might say like oh you the airlines should not be allowed to like put people into withdrawal if they're addicted to smoking or nicotine or whatever but there's okay you got to realize like there's actual solutions that work besides e-cigarettes like there's patches there's gum that exists like 
just at least encourage that it and please just ban e-cigarettes because it's not worth taking that risk just to feed someone's addiction and not and have guess them go what? through withdrawal. It's not required to go. You're not required to go anywhere via air. You can drive and you can take a boat. You and if you can't go over or take the Greyhound, exactly, either. take a bus, take a train, take the Amtrak. You know, uh, and if you have to go overseas, you, you babe, sorry, you can't go overseas by a plane. You know, like always, if you have family over there, Skype in. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, until you can control whatever you need to control to be able to fly. But like. Just or just bring a pack of yeah nic- yeah I mean uh, it's nicotine ca- it's gum or patches mm-hmm. yeah no it's like I mean airfare you know air travel is I don't think it's you know a right I think it's a privilege um you know it, yeah it's definitely not yeah, right. it's not yeah so it's like I'm I'm sorry if you can afford it you can fly but you got also got to follow the rules and if you can't follow the rules sorry you have to take another method of transportation and I just think that's how it should be because endangering the lives of so many people because you have to feed an addiction is kind of ridiculous in my opinion yeah and like that's completely like my bottom line argument and like the most I'll say on this is that if like if you have an addiction to nicotine I'm sorry but you should like you, airlines should not be forced to feed your addiction and then put all these other passengers um, at risk just because you want to go somewhere, but you can't control your addiction. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not a legitimate yeah, I mean, excuse. I don't care how, what you say to that. It's not worth the risk, especially when you're on fl- international flights too, especially when there's a lot of people on the flight. It's just, I'm sorry that, that it's not worth it. Yeah. And it's, and especially, you know, it's like, I'm not telling anybody how to live your life. You can do whatever you want to do, but there's also consequences to your choices that you make. And, you know, I mean, if you choose to do smoke an e-cigarette, that's fine. You know, you you can live your life however you want to, but that may also mean that you can't fly on an airplane if you want to bring it. So, I mean, it's just every, you know, action has a consequence, whether it be good or bad at this point. Yeah, so bottom line, I I strongly believe that e-cigarettes and vape devices too, because vape they, they do the exact same thing. I strongly believe that these devices should just be banned, like they are from the underground or from the underside of the plane. I just don't think they should be allowed on an airplane at all. Yeah, no, yeah, I, th- I think they shouldn't. But you know, we'll see what you know TSA has in store for us here in 2019 in regards to that, because I think it really needs to stop. Like what you're hearing so far. Wish there was some way you could help us in making this podcast? Well, you're in luck, because Turning Final is now available on Patreon. Why become a Patreon supporter of us, you may ask? Well, it's simple. Our Patreon supporters gain access to the show a full 24 hours in advance of any other platform, plus bonus content at the end of every episode. These perks are only available to our Patreon supporters, so if you'd like to get in this, then go to www.patreon.com slash turningfinal. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash turningfinal. All right, our next segment is about a little airline called Moxie Airlines. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is a new U.S. carrier uh, that will be launching very soon. It's founded by a group of investors that include David Nealman. Uh, he's also the founder of JetBlue. He's also a major investor in uh, TAP Air Portugal, uh, and he's a controlling shareholder in Azul Airlines in Brazil. Uh, so, you know... It's going to be something uh, like a JetBlue or whatnot because it's, you know, basically the founder of JetBlue. Um, so basically, recently, Moxie Airlines has firmed up its commitment to 60 Airbus A220s. And, you know, we were talking about earlier Delta ordering some, but they were being put on hold and whatnot. But this A220s in the news uh, a lot uh, recently because it's just brand new and a lot of airlines are going for it because it, they think it can help them economically and to gain profits quickly. Um, and a, here's a quote from uh, David. Uh, he said, after years of U.S. airline consolidation, the conditions are improving for a new generation of U.S. airline to emerge, focused on passenger service and satisfaction. So the big takeaway from this quote is that uh, this airline is not going to be focused solely on just revenues. Obviously, they need it to exist, but uh, you know they're going to be more of a passenger service and satisfaction kind of, uh, kind of airline. So that's kind of a good thing to hear and I'm kind of excited about it to see what they're going to be all about uh, in, in terms of that. He also said that the A220 will enable us to serve thinner routes in comfort without compromising cost, especially on longer range missions. Uh, with the delivery starting in 2021, we will have ample time to assemble a world-class management team and another winning business model. So 
the big takeaway here is we were talking about this earlier. Uh, it's going to serve thinner routes and comfort. So we were literally just talking about the first segment today was about you know those regional routes. Then the, the aircraft that are serving them now are just simply too small or uncomfortable. And so this A220, their plan here at Moxie is to do what we were wanting is to have these uh, shorter routes or these regional routes uh, with larger aircraft and in comfort, but also have the ability to go on longer range missions, which people won't mind in things like the A220 because it's little, it's kind of spacious uh, compared to an E145 or whatnot. So all the things that we were saying we would like, uh, he has said that they plan on doing. Now, it hasn't happened yet because these aircraft won't even be delivered until 2021. So you know, they're saying all these great things, which is a really good thing right now, but we have to see and wait and, and see if it actually, you know, comes through. Um, it's an interesting tidbit about these planes. Uh, they're going to be manufactured at the final assembly line in Mobile, Alabama. So, you know, even though Airbus is European, it's going to have a little bit of these, uh, going to have a little bit of a American flavor. Um, uh, the Airbus's chief commercial officer said that Moxie has its sight set on the future. So I can't think of a better aircraft to put into their fleet than the A220. So, you know, Airbus is, you know, happy to be in this partnership or this, uh, you know, this agreement with Moxie to provide the aircraft. Uh, so multiple parties here are excited about the future of not only the A220, but this new startup airline that will be hitting, hitting the skies here, you know, relatively quickly in years. Um, also, they said that they believe the A220 is the future of this segment of the market. Uh, and the flying public will know from the minute they set foot on board that their experience is the best of the industry has to offer. The industry has to offer. So yet again, larger, more spacious, modern, uh, and that's all attractive to to passengers and people who produce revenue for the airlines. You know, when you're a passenger, you're looking for comfort, service, new, and you know all those qualities. And this basically, this A220 is going to have that. And Moxie's going to have that because it's new and fresh. It's a new airline. Um, and also, Nealman revealed that uh, because the Moxie name belongs to a hotel chain owned by Marriott, they got a bit upset with them. And that's just kind of a fun tidbit. So, you know, they went through some struggle to get the name, so obviously it means a lot to them. But my big takeaway from all this is that it would I'm, I can't say for sure because I haven't seen their business model or anything like that. Um, but it kind of sounds like a Virgin Atlantic or just a Virgin Air, that kind of airline. It kind of, it's not seeming like a frontier to me. It's kind of seeming more, or a Southwest. It's kind of, when I think of Moxie right now, just with the little information I've gathered, it's kind of seeming like it's going to be a JetBlue or Virgin Atlantic kind of airline. Um, just based on what I know about those airlines and what these guys are kind of touting about themselves before they've even really launched. Um, and so... You can you can bet I'll be one of the first people to be flying on them once they actually uh, take to the skies. Yeah, so basically, um, I have two main things about this. Um, first, I want to say that um, you know it's great that they're making all these promises. I'm really excited to see what Moxie has to offer for us in the future. Because like like you pointed out, Jay, this is all the stuff we're hitting on in the first segment. Is that we want to be able to travel in comfort for some of these shorter flights and not have to be crammed into these really small seats where they're just not designed for how big the average person is today and so i'm really excited to see um, where david nealman takes this airline and how he launches it and if it all if it all lives up to all the hype but that's my thing is that i'm not gonna be completely like 100 percent on board with this until it proves itself until t uh, 2021 or whenever they're gonna launch i need to see proof that this is actually what where they're going and they're fulfilling all of these promises that they're making today. And so that's that's my first biggest thing. My second one is that I, I, I really agree that um, the, the A220 is a part of um, the future and I think it is gonna be a large part of um, replacing some of these smaller, um, some of these older uh, regional jets. And so um, I, I think I mean, I, I don't really need uh, mean to bash Boeing here, but um, yeah, like I, I just, I, I, I just have a little bit of skepticism here because, um, you know, the seven thirty seven was promised 
to um, also deliver um, top quality passenger comfort. But we've already seen complaints from like Amer- American Airlines travelers. And maybe this just has something to do with um, how the airlines configure their planes. But, um, you know, so they're, they're, I just I don't understand how they're going to keep costs low if that's what they're aiming to do and also provide top quality passenger comfort. I just I need to see the proof and I need to see where they're saving those costs and how they're actually pass like passing on the savings to the customer. I just I'm a realistic person. I just need to see proof of it. Yeah. So like these aircraft aren't even going to be delivered till 2021. And so once they're delivered, you know, they got to go through their own maintenance checks and whatnot. So like realistically, I don't even know when this airline's going to start serving passengers. Probably no, it's definitely no later than 2021, I think. So, and I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat, you know, I'm excited to see what they have, but I'm not going to say that they're the, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread right now, you know, um, you know, they could be, but right now I'm not ready to jump on that bandwagon either. Um, but you know what they're saying and what they're doing so far is is aligning. They're saying that they want to provide more comfortable uh, routes uh, with more comfortable aircraft, and they've backed that up by ordering these two these two twenties. So they I mean they've kind of already backed up some of the things they said. Um, but you know the actual you know customer service and whatnot you know really can't be proven until they launch and you're rather actually providing the customer service to their their passengers and rev- revenue producing uh, customers. So you know I I remember the days when there used to be like Midwest Airlines, Northwest, all these other airlines, and so I think it's actually a good thing that this thing's coming up into the market because right now you've got three big airlines and then you've got the low cost carriers. And so it's really kind of shot prices up that all these after all these mergers have happened, and just, I think it, it's good to add another airline into the mix to kind of force these other airlines to maybe make things a little bit cheaper to be more competitive. Because the more people there are in the market, the more competitive the market is. Rather than having like an oligopoly, you know, where you know there's only a few people who control the entire market, and basically whatever price they set goes. And if you don't like it, sorry, you're not going to fly. Yeah, I, I I largely agree. I think. Uh- you know, so it's going to be good for this airline to come up, and I hope they do well. Um, I really do. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be good for these airlines for to make um, the, like, like you said, the big, the legacy airlines, the big three, and then also some of these more established, smaller, um, uh, low cost carriers to um, you know try to be more competitive. And you know, adding another airline always helps. Uh, you know, it's always a win for the passengers because then they're going to be battling more people for lower costs and more uh, passengers that who buy tickets on their flights. Um, last thing I want to say on this is that um, you know I it, it just it has to go back to what we were saying in the first segment. Like um, this is you know. Um, a whole new world that this airline is creating is um, passenger comfort for these regional routes. And now that's like a perfect world that I want, but also like my end goal for this airline. And I, I don't know if they plan on doing this or even if they have this in the back of their mind or not, but the perfect world for me would be combining, um, you know, comfort with these long haul routes as well as these short regional ones. So if, this airline plans on doing that. I think that's great, but I think um, you know the end game here is what we're, what we're starting to see. You know the passenger comfort in the um, the uh, regional airlines. I think you know the market is starting to shift towards more passenger comfort. So hopefully, we'll see some of these airlines who start to who already maybe have these um, longer uh, these longer haul routes. So maybe we'll start to see them shift towards. Uh, more passenger comfort in their um, short regional routes as well. And I really hope we do see that in the future. Yeah. And like the big thing I'm also seeing here is what kind of threat is this uh, posing to the airlines right now? So what changes are these airlines that are already in existence going to do before these 220s hit in 2021 to make sure that they're still competitive or they still have an advantage over this upstart by then? Because, you know, they don't want to lose ground either. So, you know, even though this thing isn't going to be coming to the market here for another few years, we could see some changes in the industry as of right now. Um, but yeah, I think it all boils down to, I want this airline to be successful. And if they can, you know, do what they say they're going to do, provide great customer service, uh, comfortable uh, routes for either short regional routes or longer routes, uh, then they'll be just golden. And I think it'll really be a plus to the, uh, to the airline world. 
All right, so our next segment comes to us from flyingmagazine.com, where the airline California Pacific Airlines is making headlines due to the uh, pilot shortage. Uh, CPA has had to suspend all commercial airline or all commercial flights to the West Coast. And for those of you that don't know, this is um, it's not necessarily a relatively new airline. They've been uh, they've been founded since 2009, but th- I think they just started um, operations recently. Uh, they're an airline that's based out of Carlsbad, and they do flights to places like San Jose, Las Vegas, um, Reno, and I think Phoenix as well. And so uh, due to the pilot shortage, um, this airline currently, uh, quote, we temporarily suspended our uh, Cal- Carlsbad flights and ticket sales due to the impact of the nationwide pilot shortage, end quote. And um, it also put out a statement saying that um, all of the uh, the 55-seat uh, Embraer ERJ-145s were, uh, they're forced to cancel all those West Coast flights indefinitely. They say they're going to start back up soon, but there's been no definite timeline that's been put up saying when they will actually start to begin ticket sales and flights back. And so, um, yeah, like I said, this airline, it's it's pretty small. I think they're based out of, um, or some of their more uh, central operating routes are like out of Denver, Colorado, and they operate to towns like um, Watertown and Pierre, South Dakota. So they're they're not really that known of an airline, but it's like, it's sort of like surfare and the fact that, um, you know, if you don't want to travel on a bigger airline and you maybe want to, you know, choose have the smaller uh, airplanes and not have to deal with the hassle of going to the bigger islands, you know, this might be an airline that you decide to take. So um, this, this isn't even the first challenge that this airline has had to face. The company, like I said, it was founded in 2009, but it struggled to obtain a proper certification for operations. And then in 2017, um, the airline purchased uh, Air, uh, ADI Aerodynamics and acquired its commercial airline certificate along with four of their uh, Embraer ERJ-145s. And that's how um, the airline was able to start operations last fall. Yeah, so like, I'm just going to give a little background, I guess, a little more information to people um, to kind of explain why there's a pilot shortage overall. I mean, okay, so the rule is in the airline industry is, you know, once you hit 65, you have to retire. You know, they, they just can't take the health risks. Even if you're a perfectly healthy person, you're getting your physical every three to six months based on your age, and you, it says you're healthy, you know, you could get it, you know, as you get up there, uh, things could just tr- take a turn for the worst instantly. And so like, basically the airlines have said 65, I'm sorry, you, you gotta, you gotta retire. So basically so right now, what we have is a lot of people who are getting close to it or like or just super close to it, to that age. And so they're retiring and like, we're running out of people coming in, the pilots coming in. So there's a big need for them. Uh, and so, like, right now is the time to be in flight school and whatnot because the odds of you getting a job after you graduate, after you get your ATP and whatnot, are really, really high. And so, I mean, that's just kind of the background on this. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of understandable. This airline, though, here isn't the only one who's experiencing it. You know, every airline's kind of got they, – they don't have their numbers that they used to is what I guess I'm trying to say here. And so, like, yeah, this is a big story here too, but like also everywhere else, it's just kind of, if you look at it, it's like, oh, wow, uh, we're going to need more pilots here pretty soon. Yeah. And like we were saying, this is a good example of how real the pilot shortage is. Like, cause you, you hear about it all the time, but then you also hear about, um, how the aviation industry is booming and airlines are adding all these new routes. So you wouldn't really, um, take it to seem that this pilot shortage is affecting, um, these airlines and you know it, it it's definitely harder to see in the more established airlines like the the bigger uh, low cost like southwest and frontier and spirit but and also in united delta and american you'll hardly ever see it except maybe if they cancel a route to a smaller city due to the pilot shortage but this is where you'll really see the pilot shortage take effect is these really smaller airlines like california pacific where they had to cancel all of their flights that were based out of the west coast so as of right now they're not doing any ticket sales or flights out of their west coast based in carlsbad yeah and this can be really detrimental to them too because that's a lot of revenue that they're missing out on right now just because they don't have the pilots or the the you know 
the, the crew members to do it. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what will come out of this, um, especially for them. Yeah. And like I said, um, the airline does have a plan to start ticket sales and routes back up. Um, they haven't put out a specific timeline, but they did put out a statement saying that they have the pilots in training. It's just a matter of when they can get those pilots certified once they get checked out by the FAA and they can actually start like they're able to start flying those routes. Yeah, and here's the problem I, I see with this whole pilot shortage thing. Um, guess what? Guess what's going to happen? Uh, you know, once all these people retire and the, all these new people flood in at once, there's not going to be no experience anymore. Yeah, that okay. And so guess what? These this new flood of people that just come in and replace these guys, it's going to be the same situation here in 30, 40 years. Literally, like all these new people replacing these guys are just coming in like in one giant wave to replace them. It's like we need to get it into a system where we, they trickle in, you know, that way, you know, when people retire, there's still people around. But like when all these people, when the pilot shortages happen, like right now, okay, we're going to be replacing them from graduates from these flight schools and whatnot. Um, but eventually, everybody entering the, the, the job market right now is to be of that age where they have to retire, and we're going to have the same issue years from now. So I think the it, it kind of needs to be corrected, and I don't know how you do that because trying to say, no, you can't come into this industry right now we need to wait a little bit that's not going to work so i don't really know how you fix it yeah i think um you know we've we've had these dips in the industry like these hills and uh declines in the industry in the past where you know there's been a surge of pilots industry does really good and then it dips in the tanks and there's all of a sudden a pilot shortage but i think this is probably within our lifetimes and you know within the past couple uh, uh decades this has been the most um profound uh pilot shortage we've had so i really don't think the industry knows how to deal with this big of a pilot shortage yet because like you said if we try like maybe we should try to regulate how many pilots come into the industry every year so that we like you said we don't have this uh, issue like 50 to 60 years down the road from now where you know all these pilots are going to be retiring and look we don't have any more pilots to bring in but um yeah that's that's a very interesting point you bring up because like i just i don't see how the airline industry is going to respond or the aviation industry as a whole is going to respond to this because we really haven't seen this before i don't think and i just i don't know how it's going to react and it's going to be interesting to see and we'll definitely have to follow up on this story as time progresses yeah definitely i mean i mean the only thing i could offer right now is to bring in a surplus of pilots um because i don't think limiting the pilots is really great uh, because you know that would there's entire universities that are dedicated to flight training uh, degrees and that so like shutting down that for a bit of time uh, would be detrimental to those those facilities and universities so that's not really good because you know it's, it, we don't want to limit people from getting degrees and what they love to do so maybe it's uh, we hire a little bit more than we need and we find a way to utilize them maybe that means our pilots don't have to fly as many hours as they used to because we have more than we need so everybody just flies a little bit less i don't know but we need to find a way to be able to keep those flight schools alive and people who want to be a pilot could still have the dream of being a pilot and still can become a pilot we just need to figure out a way to keep it from becoming a situation where once everybody becomes of that age that they need to retire we don't add another shortage again Alrighty, and our final segment is about a uh a person who meant a lot to the aviation industry, uh, Herbert D. Keller. Uh, he passed away this week at the age of 87. Uh, it's it's a sad time, you know, to mourn his, his passing, but we also kind of just want to remember his life and all the positive things he did for the airline industry and, and aviation industry as a whole and, you know, kind of look at the impact he's made and it's going to continue to make even though he's no longer with us. So, you know, all these Southwest Airlines executive staff listed him as, you know, a pioneer, a maverick, and an innovator with a strategy revolutionizing commercial aviation and uh, democratizing the skies. They also went on to say that his passion, zest for life, and insatiable investment in relationships made lasting and immeasurable impressions on all who knew him and will forever be the bedrock uh, and a spirit decor of Southwest Airlines. So a little bit of background on him. Uh, he moved to Texas in his early life with his family uh, to, with plans to start a law firm a business or a business, one of the two. Uh, and he kind of did. He did start a business eventually one day. Uh, so one of his law clients, uh, Rollin King, uh, he created the Southwest concept with him uh, on a cocktail napkin in a restaurant, uh, you know, of all places in San Antonio. 
Uh, so, you know, kind of speaks to, you know, how they're based in Dallas when it's like their main, their main hub now. So, you know, kind of started in Texas and still in Texas. Um, so by 1971, the airline concept was formed and they began a battle that lasted four years, taking on legal challenges from competitors who tried to keep them down because nobody really wanted a, a new upstart at this time. Uh, they just saw him as a major threat, uh, which must have meant, you know, that he had something really good and they knew it. Uh, uh, he uh, they faced such battles from the likes of Raniff in January 1973, uh, where Southwest had to cut fares to to a baseline $13 on every flight. Now we know with inflation and whatnot that $13 is a little, worth a little bit more now, but it's still very very cheap. Um, so I mean they had to do what they had to do to survive. Uh, they succeeded in the battle against their competitors by offering low fares. You know as they do now, they're still one of the uh, the lowest fared uh, airlines out there. Uh, they removed unnecessary services as well as avoiding the hub and spoke, uh, quote unquote, scheduling system. You know, as where you know if you're in Kansas City, you got to fly to Chicago, O'Hare to get at, to get anywhere. Um, that kind of hub and spoke system. They kind of revolutionized that, and uh, they kind of used secondary airports. They made that their their one of their tokens. So basically, they don't go to Chicago O'Hare. They went to Midway. Uh, they kind of wanted it to be different from everybody else and kind of revolutionize it that way. So. You don't have to fly to a main hub to get somewhere with Southwest. And by 1982, he became the CEO of the carrier. And this marked the beginning of a corporate culture that made employees well-known for having fun and not taking things seriously. So, you know, when you see Southwest Airlines commercials and whatnot, and when you experience it in person, you kind of get that fun, that, that really fun vibe. Um, and, you know, apparently this has been going on since 1982. That's just kind of what he believed in and kind of the culture he wanted to create. And it's it's amazing that it's still going on today. That I I can I can feel that culture um, when I fly Southwest, and I don't fly him a lot, but I when I do I, I feel it. So he did a great job uh, instilling that into the company. Uh, so now moving on to 2004 from 1982, uh, the airline was named among the top five most admired corporations in the U.S. Uh, for coming from Fortune magazine, and this is an incredible feat in my opinion. Uh, for a low-cost carrier to be in the top five most admired corporations in the U.S., I mean, so that corporations that doesn't just mean airlines. So he he literally took a low-cost carrier. And he could, out of every single company uh, that could in the U.S., not including airlines, he made it in there. So there wasn't there's not room enough for all the airlines and other companies. So he did a really good job, uh, you know, making Southwest what it was and is. Um, so, and then later in that same year, he was inducted into the Junior Achievements U.S. Business Hall of Fame. Uh, and then also later that year, Gary Kelly replaced Keller as the new CEO. You know, he was jumped from a controller in 1986 to CFO in 1989. And in 2001, he was the VP of Finance. So he eventually went up to the CEO and replaced Keller. And, uh, a sad time for Southwest came in 2007 uh, as he announced that Keller announced that he would step down from the role of chairman and resign from the board in May 2008. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a sad time. But he was, even though he was kind of off the board and gone, he was still like their leader and role model. You know, people, you know, looked, you know, followed what he, his vision and uh, continued with it even after he departed. Um just kind of a testament to, to his character from multiple different people. Uh, Michael O'Leary, the CEO of Ryanair, uh, labeled him the Thomas Edison of low fare air travel, uh, the one who revolutionized the industry. So he revolutionized the industry not only in the U.S. with people like Frontier and all these other people, but even other low-cost carriers and in Europe and everywhere else in the world uh, look up to him. Um, he was that much of an innovator. Um, so he really did great things in, in regards to, to the aviation world. Even Sir Richard Branson of Virgin stated that he was definitely the pioneer as far as low cost, low cost travel is concerned. I mean, so all these different people, um, just admired what he did and what, you know, he continued to do even after he departed the airline, um, you know, kind of paved the way for all these other ones. Um, even Doug Parker, the chairman and CEO of American Island Airlines, said when he passed that they lost an industry icon and a legend that brought the freedom of travel to hundreds of millions of people. And, uh, I mean, America's not the only one. All the airlines in the U.S. have said on social media and public statements that uh, 
he was he was truly iconic and that everybody he will be missed because it's not at the end of the day it's not just about you know i have to beat your airline down because you're a competitor no it's aviation is a community and it's about sometimes it's more about you know getting the edge of your competitors and and you know he was truly respected by everyone in the field uh so that says a lot about the man um so i mean obviously he'll be a forever in the hearts of southwest especially with the mentality uh, of growing but not being too serious at the same time so you know they're going to continue to grow even without him there he'll be there in spirit but you know they're going to take his vision and what he would have wanted forward um and they're looking forward to what uh, the southwest of the future is and you know as a final note here on him i'd just like to say that he was kind of a real kind of you know obviously other people have said it, but he was a pioneer in the industry um, he inspired other low-cost carriers to start up, and you know, without them, who knows what the aviation industry would look like today, or the airline industry. We could not have many of the airlines that exist today without him. Who knows? Uh, without this low-cost concept, you know, the, the legacy airlines may not have evolved the way they have evolved. So basically, a lot of the good things when what we love about the airline industry today is can be attributed to him and what he's done at Southwest to to facilitate that. And, uh, yeah, he just will be uh, – he'll be forever missed by uh, many and most in the uh, aviation and airline industry. Yeah, and basically what I want to say on this is that, you know, we tend to bash Southwest Airlines a lot on this podcast. But it's, you know, it's not necessarily bashing – the people and um all the workers of southwest they're always they're they're really good people and you know i've flown southwest myself many times and i experienced like these people truly enjoy their jobs and it's all because of this mentality and this environment that herb keller set. he was the pioneer of why southwest is what they are today and that they're the friendly you know nonchalant airline that just likes to make their people like enjoy the flight and have fun and so you know, like I said, we bash the airline a lot, but in reality, um, Southwest Airlines is a very respected airline, largely uh, and largely part of what Herb Keller was able to do with it. Yeah, it's yeah he he truly was an innovator, and you can, as you said, you can tell when you walk into the Southwest ticketing uh, area of the airport that you know they love their job. Uh, there's always friendly service and. And but when, we, when we're giving Southwest a hard time, we're we're giving them a hard time because we want them to succeed, and it's you know tough love sometimes. But by no means do we not like them and whatnot. I Southwest has been a part of my entire life. They've been around ever since I was around, and before that. So, you know, I just want them to do well, and I I think that Herb Keller, you know, he he did great things for him and. Yeah, he will, he'll truly be missed. Yeah, and exactly. And, you know, just um, just because we do bash him all the time, I'm going to change it up a little bit. And I'm just going to go through a couple things that I just absolutely love about Southwest really quick. Basically, the biggest thing is that I love how, um, you know, they have the non-spoken uh, um, hub uh you know, scheduling system to where, you know, like Jay said, you operate out of these smaller airports and you go more direct to the city that you're actually trying to get to. Um, back a while ago, like about a year ago, I was based in um, San Jose, California, and San Jose is a hub city. It's a focus city for Southwest. And um, they had many, many flights daily out of there to all these different cities in California. Like you could get any time of the day, you could get from San Jose to anywhere down south in Southern California, so like Los Angeles, Burbank, um, Ontario, even places like Santa Ana and um, even San Diego. And then also you can get to places very easily um, from San Jose, like uh, Phoenix, uh, like out of state of California, like Phoenix, um, Seattle, you could get to um, their other hubs like Chicago Midway. And I think they even now um, do uh across the country service to tampa bay and baltimore washington just from this um hub city is san jose which is not or i'm sorry this focus city of san jose that doesn't have any hubs or airlines it's not big enough to be a hub airport but that just goes to show how dedicated they are to you know making like revolutionizing the uh the market to 
to make it their own and to deliver more direct service to their passengers. Yeah, I mean, I have to say the same, like being based out of Kansas City right now. I mean, if I want to go to New Orleans, I can go direct to New Orleans from Kansas City on Southwest Airlines right now. But I can't on any of the legacy carriers. I have to go to Dallas, Chicago, Atlanta, Minneapolis, Detroit, and then pick up a connection. So they he truly revolutionized the way you get to places from city to city rather than just having to go to a hub. You know, like if they're if their Southwest Airlines is a hub and spoke system, they'd take you to Midway or Baltimore or, you know, San Jose or Dallas, one of the Phoenix or LA and then you'd fly somewhere else. But now you can go a lot of places nonstop. Uh, on them now no matter where you live you can live in one of the smaller cities that they serve and still go direct to a lot of places so it's truly appreciated uh that you know they came up with this concept and that it's still working today and southwest is very successful no matter you know even with a little bit of struggles they've had with you know other maintenance and whatnot yeah so they've just been super successful and it, it's and i look forward to them continuing that success um, and I know they will because I, I know their culture and what I've experienced walking through the, the doors of every airport I've ever been in and flown Southwest. And so I'm just looking forward to see what the, the future of Southwest Airlines has in store and to see how they carry on Herbert Keller's vision for the airline. Herbert Keller was an amazing person who truly innovated and pioneered the way for the aviation industry going forward. And uh, we, we know that he'll be flying high in heaven and he'll be truly missed. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Turning Final. If you enjoyed the content today, please go let us know on our social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at final underscore turning or on Facebook and YouTube at Turning Final. You can also become a supporter of this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash turning final and choosing a monthly contribution plan. This greatly helps us to invest in making this podcast the best it can be, and it's the best way to show us that you enjoy what we do and you'd like to hear more of it in the future. That's anchor.fm slash turning final. Until next week, this has been Turning Final.